We turn in God's Word this evening to Genesis chapter 5, but we're going to pick it up at verse 28, which is near the end of the chapter. Genesis chapter 5, verse 28. We begin uh, today a three-part series on Noah, still dealing with uh, those uh, who go, uh, whose names in Scripture begin with the letter N. One certainly cannot omit Noah from that. But uh, when you look at uh, the volume of material that we have here, um, it would uh, not, uh, one would only have to touch the real surface uh, and, and not get in very deep in Noah's life if we covered it in one. So we'll be looking at it uh, in three tonight, uh, looking at how the Lord sees Noah. Secondly, uh, the, as we think about the flood, uh, what lessons do we draw from that event uh, as, as we reflect upon it? We, we confess it happened, we believe it happened, but, but what does God teach us through that flood? And then uh, thirdly, we'll speak about uh, uh, Noah and the covenant that God makes with him and with all living things. As we come to the end of that. Tonight though we begin Genesis chapter 5, 28 where we first are introduced to him. When Lamech had lived 182 years he fathered a son and called his name Noah saying out of the ground that the Lord has cursed this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man, whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Let's start the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, once again, we are thankful for the privilege and opportunity that we have this evening to come and worship you. We know that there are a lot of other distractions and other things to do this evening, but we are grateful that we are here. And we just ask as we open your word in a little bit that you guide Pastor Bob with your message and open our hearts and our minds as a congregation. We can apply this to our lives and live for you. 
This we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Not only here, but here in good numbers, I might add as well. So thank you for your faithfulness in that regard as well. I want to look at three things uh, from this passage in regards to Noah. First of all, Noah's lineage. Secondly, Noah's world that we are introduced to. And then thirdly, Noah's standing. First of all, his lineage. Where we begin in this chapter is a long chapter of genealogies. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 5, you will see probably a heading uh, above that chapter, something about uh, Seth's line or Adam's descendants in our ESV. The heading is given to it, Adam's descendants to Noah. And if we go back to verse 1, we, we read about how, where we're going here, whose line it is. And we read about how God created man and how Adam lived, and then he had a son in his own image. Notice verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. A couple of interesting things about that, isn't it? That when Adam was created, he was made in God's image. But now we read that the sons are in Adam's image, in that fallen image. The fall has taken place. And so the sons that have been conceived, whether it's Abel, whether it's Cain, or now whether it's Seth, have been conceived in Adam's own likeness, a sinful likeness, as Paul points out so well in Romans chapter 6 of the fact that we are all in Adam and we have our uh, theological understanding of the fact of original sin being conveyed to us even in that verse. But if we were to look through the rest of chapter 5, we don't deviate from this line of Seth. We learn then that we are tracing things from Adam to Seth now, all the way from Seth, through all of these names, through all of these years, to this man that we read about, starting in verse 28, called Adam. But it's not just Seth's line, is it? Those, you're very familiar, I would trust, with the fact that it is Seth's line that is noted as the promise line. From these individuals, and then from Noah, we are going to eventually get to Christ, that promised one from Genesis 3.15, the one who is going to come and, he, as it were, erase the curse. That's why you, you note the name, but we'll come to that in a minute. Secondly, that, that we have to understand that as we trace then this line, this is about the Redeemer. This is about Christ. There are some who might come to a, a chapter such as this in God's Word and tend to skip over it and think, oh, it's just a bunch of names and dates and begotten sons and daughters. What's the importance? This is the lineage of our Redeemer. This reminds us of the fact that our Redeemer is indeed flesh and blood, that he had that human nature that we spoke of briefly this morning. And it's because of that human nature that the sacrifice on the cross is indeed for us. It required one of us to suffer hell in order for our penalty of sin to be paid. So don't just dismiss that. 
It's important. The second thing is the fascinating ages as we would read through this chapter. You're pretty well aware of it, I would say, but let me just reiterate. Verse 5, thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh, verse 7, 807 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912. And you continue on. You, you come to Methuselah, verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. And then we read, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God. He was not, for God took him. Then we read of Methuselah, who had lived 187 years when he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. A couple of points. One. These are factual numbers. It is not necessary for us as God's people to somehow try to argue them away. Well, you know, if we, if, if I think what we have to do here is, is use uh, the tenth here. And, and, oh, that would make sense. He was 96 years and seven-tenths years old, such as Methuselah. There, there is no reason for us to do so. There's no point in us to do so. What would be the call to do so? Only because there are those who say, oh, I doubt those ages are real. What are we going to do then when we come to a flood? Are we going to argue that away as well? What are we going to do when we come to a virgin birth? Argue that away too? What are we going to do when we come to a resurrection? Just kind of, well, cave in again. Well, that's just symbolic. No, the ages are factual. And there is great longevity. And the explanation of that is simple. We do not have the sicknesses, the diseases that are so prevalent today. They're not there. Genetics has not decayed to the state we are in today. The genetic disorders that we deal with today, the, the problems with chromosomes and genes and all of that stuff, Yes, it's there. Sin has affected that, but not to the degree it is today. So there is great longevity for these individuals. The other interesting parts of this is this. Part of what we don't catch as we read it. And that's that Adam actually lives long enough to see Methuselah. Actually, he lives to see Noah's father, Lamech. And Adam has been dead only 56 years when Noah is born. Seth also, as we trace this line, lives to see Lamech as well. He misses the birth of Noah by but four years. Methuselah this oldest man actually dies in the year of the flood. So as we think about these numbers, as we put them together, God is as well saying something about those that Adam saw. Imagine, Adam gets to tell Methuselah. Adam gets to tell Lamech, Noah's father, the true account of creation. This is not passed on 
generation after generation after generation, hundreds of years, Adam can sit down with Lamech and say, Lamech, my great-great-great-great-grandson, let me tell you, this is the way it happened. This is the way the fall took place. We saw those angels with their flaming swords as we were driven out. He could tell Lamech the story of how Cain kills Abel. He could tell him of the promise of God's word. Indeed, fascinating for us to think of this. Indeed, the sons of Noah, just carry this one on, verse 32. You might have always asked, why is it that Noah doesn't have any kids till he's 500 years old? You read back through the rest of these people, they're not waiting that long. But Noah, it's 500 years before he has those three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You want to know the purpose of that? Here's God's purpose. Shem is still alive when Abraham is born. So the story of creation can go from Adam to Lamech to Noah to Shem to Abraham. That's a pretty direct line, even though it takes place over a long period of time, there is a direct oral tradition that is taking place. God is making sure that his word, the truth of his word, is conveyed. But I want you to, in Noah's lineage, to note his father. His father is Lamech. He lives to a very interesting age, doesn't he? 777 years. I believe that's exactly how old Lamech was when he died. Not 776, and they just made it 777. Because if you think long enough, isn't it interesting that when God gives the mark of the beast in Revelation. That number is also a triple, 666. But Lamech is the man of fulfillment. 777. The man of completion. God certainly testifies to us. Look at what Lamech does when he names Noah. Verse 29. He called his name Noah. Why? Now perhaps not because of what some name book today says Noah means. Lamech tells you what it means. He called him Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. What does he believe about Noah? He believes in God's promise, the Lord. Note, that's God's covenant name. He believes in the promise of the covenant that God would send a deliverer. He believes that in some way, Noah is going to be involved in that. And he is. For he shows us 
a type of Christ. That's what his message is all about. Those saved. Those who are safe. Those who are protected. Those who are covered. But he also becomes the ancestor of Christ. The one who brings about the relief from our pain. But you know what struck me about this? Once again, I tell you this often, but, and we just had this conversation earlier uh, with someone else. This is just, once again, one of those things that you can read so quickly because you read it so often in this chapter, but you miss it. Remember how often, if you look back, we read, had other sons and daughters, had other sons and daughters? Lamech, verse 30, lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Are they on the ark? No, it's just Noah and his family. Noah's own siblings are not spared. Something that you, you could so easily just look over and, and not, not really stop to think about. But think about the reality of this for Noah. This flood. Take your wife, take your sons and your sons' wives. What about my brother? No, he's not coming in, Noah. What about my sister and her family? No, Noah, they're not coming in. It's just you. Just you, your wife, your sons and their wives. Now, what's the explanation for that? Well, secondly, let's look at Noah's world. Our second major point. And we can look at it not through some human witness. We can look at it through the witness of the Lord. For it is the Lord who tells us what things are like. Verse 3 of chapter 6. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120. Now why is that? The Lord said. This is God's witness. God is testifying. The Lord said. Man's day shall now be limited. We've just had a chapter of these great long years. Now we're down to 120. That's a pretty drastic cut. Why? Well, verses 1 and 2 explain it. The promised line the family of Seth is beginning to intermarry with the family of Cain. Rather than remaining separate, rather than remaining distinct, rather than remaining holy, they unite themselves with unbelief. And God said, okay, I can't let man live forever. I, I can't give these long ages. I've got to limit man. Man is becoming too sinful. That's followed up because what does the Lord say he saw? Verse 5. The Lord saw 
that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. The Lord's eyes saw. The Lord God, above all, saw earth. And he saw those who populated the earth, and he saw that it was wicked. This is God's testimony. I'm going to limit the life of man to 120 years. Why? Because man is wicked. In fact, the testimony goes on, right? And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Can you imagine that world? Can you imagine that society? See, in today's world, there are certain limitations, aren't there? There are, there are the limitations that, that the government puts upon evil. They do not bear the sword in vain. People just don't do everything they want to do because they're afraid of punishment. They're afraid of incarceration. They're afraid of jail. They're afraid of fines. Else they do far more evil than what they do. But it's limited now. It's limited by the revelation of God's word. It's limited by the, by the outpouring of God's spirit in this world. Then, notice what happens. It's only evil continually. Every thought of every man, woman, and child was evil all the time. There is no absence from evil. Such is the world in which Noah lives. This is what he is born into. But more than, on top of that, go down to verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. It's not only evil, it is a violent evil. Over the past three months, how many times have we not turned and heard the news, watched the news, read our newspaper whenever it comes out, Googled the news, and we read, another person shot in Grand Rapids. Another person shot in Grand Rapids. Last night, early this morning, I should say, another man shot at a Shell gas station on the East Beltline. Wickedness. Yes, violence. And this pales, my friends, in comparison to if you live on the south side of Chicago, there it's not shootings, it's killings, day after day after day. All we need to do is go into an abortion clinic and the killings that occur, permissible killings, not even illegal killings anymore. And yet, listen to the testimony of God. God saw, God saw that man's heart was only evil continually and that there is this violence filling the earth and it's into that world that Noah is born 
a society, what a culture. Perhaps we get a somewhat of a taste of it living as we do here, but I kind of think that uh, if we lived where our brother Paul Murphy lives in Hell's Kitchen down there or where the church is located, I think we'd have a whole different understanding of what evil continually is and what violence is. I think if we lived in a lot of other parts of this world, in a lot of other countries even of this world, we'd be startled. As of yet, we do not have barbed wire with razor blades above every wall surrounding our house, do we? But I don't think that even cuts to the half of what Noah lived in. Thoughts of man's heart only evil continually, that it was filled with violence. This is his world. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. If you're in the habit of underlining text in your Bible, you need to underline that one. That's another one of those but passages. Because every time we come across it, okay, we're led most times to what? To grace. And here it is, right in front of us. It's the first time that grace actually appears in our scriptures. But Noah found favor. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah, not in the eyes of men, <laughs> he, he, nobody's singing Noah's praises, nobody's applauding Noah, nobody's electing Noah to anything, but Noah found grace, favor in the eyes of the Lord. You know the marvelous thing about that text? We can look at our world around us and we see all the stuff and pollution of life and the sin that is so prevalent in our society and where our stomachs churn and we get sick over it. But you can put your name in. Found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The love of God for us in this world, in this society. See, that ties with this morning, right? That even the evilness of the society cannot separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Nine millimeter handgun cannot separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Not rioting crowds can separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate me from that. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, even in the culture in which he lived. See, that's not because of who Noah was. It's because of who God is. Grace is not what we do. 
graces what God does. But Noah found grace, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But we're told more about Noah's standing. Not only does he find grace, favor in God's eyes, but notice what we read. Verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. So we'd want to say, see this is where we would go, right? We'd want to say, well of course God found no, I got to phrase it right, sorry. Of course, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He was a righteous man. So it's because Noah was righteous that he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But that is not what God's word tells us. That is not what God's word teaches. God's word teaches us that righteousness comes by faith. It is by faith that Noah builds the ark. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. Listen to what God comments about this man. Hebrews chapter 11. Sorry. Hebrews chapter 11. It's verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Where did, where did Noah's righteousness come from? From his good works? From the fact that he said, oh, I'm not going to engage in all of this killing. I'm not going to let my mind be polluted by this world. No. Noah's righteousness, his standing before the Lord as a righteous man, came from faith. But where does faith come from? Faith is the gift of God. God gives to Noah the gift of faith. That gift of faith makes Noah righteous in the sight of the Lord. Now why did God give Noah faith? Because God gave grace to Noah in the midst of his society and culture. See, don't ever think, don't ever think. Noah was born and he lived this nice, righteous, holy life all by himself. He just resisted society on his own. Noah is a part of that society. He is a part of that culture. But God's grace falls upon Noah. God grants Noah the gift of faith. A faith that makes him righteous. Turn to Romans 1.17. Romans 1, 17. Now let's go back to 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now what is the gospel? God's promise of salvation in and through Jesus Christ. Why was Noah named what he was by Lamech? Part of the promised line, the Savior, the Savior, the Savior, the Redeemer. That's the gospel. 
the gospel for these people is Genesis 3. That's the gospel message. Lamech believes it. Names his son, Noah. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So why is Noah righteous? Because he has faith. Where did the faith come from? From God. Why did God give Noah faith? Out of grace. Is he any different than you or me? See, that's the same thing that is said about us. We are considered righteous, blameless, justified. Why? Because of faith. Faith that I worked so hard to get? No, faith that God gave as a gift. Why did God give me faith? Why did God give you faith? Because he's a God of grace. Not because I earned it, not because I deserved it. If you put Noah in that situation, if you think Noah is this perfect guy, and then God says, you know, I see this perfect guy down here. I think I'm going to spare him from the flood. You might as well go to the most Arminian church there is because you just accepted works righteousness. Because if Noah could save himself by what he was, then so can you and I. But we do not believe that. We believe we are saved by grace. Noah is a sinner, but God gives him grace. And God gives him the gift of faith. And by that gift of faith, he is accounted righteous and blameless before Almighty God. So much so that don't forget the last thing of that verse. What does it say? And Noah walked with God. What does Scripture mean when it says that somebody walks with God? That God comes down and has a little stroll. They go out and look at cherry blossoms with one another. They went and looked at a rose garden. They went and looked at cedars. And God said, now Noah, take note of these cedars. Someday you're probably going to have to make use of these. Just kind of keep look. See how tall they are? See all these animals? Noah, just kind of keep an eye on them. Noah walked with God. He lived a life dedicated and committed to God in the midst of a society and a culture that is walking away from God. No, they're not walking away from God. They're running full speed, full gallop away from God. So much so that God has to say, I'm going to put an end to this. No more. But no. Noah is the one who Second Peter, or in Second Peter we are told, is the herald of righteousness. He's the one out there calling people, calling them to this covenant God. This is the one who is calling people to the gospel. 
This is the one calling people to the deliverer, to the redeemer, to the promised one. This is the one who is preaching, living a life of commitment to the Lord. He lived with God. Hour by hour, day by day, year by year, and there aren't very many people you can say this for, century by century. This is the man, Noah, that God now comes to and says, I'm going to send a flood, and I'm going to destroy all mankind and all living things. But you build yourself an ark, and you take your wife, you take your sons and their wives, and when I tell you, you go into the ark. And Noah walked with God. Picked up his saw, he'd cut wood. Picked up his brush of pitch, covered the ark. He did the work that God called him to. That's what it means to walk with God to live life so close to the Almighty that it's as if we are walking with Him. Not in the midst of a culture and a society that made it easy. Even His siblings aren't on the ark, even his family. Jesus calls us to faithfulness. And Noah, by God's grace, is faithful. In Christ's name, we shall be too. And God's people say, Amen. Father, we do thank you for your gift of grace, for your gift of faith, for the opportunity that through your spirit we might live life obediently before you. Lord, as we reflect upon the life of Noah and the culture in which he lived, we pray, Father, that we too, that we too might be those who by grace walk with you daily, and that, Father, in the weeks to come, as we see this event of the flood, a picture not only of your judgment, but a picture of your grace and mercy and love, a picture of your purity and holiness, that we will be reminded, Father, that on the day of judgment, that we too are safe in Christ. In his name we pray. And God's people say again, amen.